Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Big things happening at the start of the NBA season, even though it hasn't actually started yet. But we also have news on the Yankees' managerial situation. Uh, Aaron Boone signing a new deal to stay the Yankees' manager. I'll give my thoughts on that, of course, as well as some of the firings that they had, which were definitely warranted. Uh, and Boone also had a little something to say about the, the turnover in the coaching staff. So that's some big news on that front. We'll go over the rest of the MLB playoffs. Uh, up until this point, both games are game three. We're now going into game four, I believe, of the championship series. Um, actually, the NLCS is going into game three. The ALCS is going into game four. So we'll get to break down how those have gone thus far. And then, of course, the NFL um, week six. Good stuff ahead this episode. Let's get into it with Ben Simmons. Uh, he and the Philadelphia 76ers, their whole drama has been the, the main off-season storyline this year. Everyone's, pretty much since they were eliminated from the playoffs, this has been a situation that has gone downhill very quickly. Uh, it, it has never been a peaceful thing or a mutual thing where they kind of both decided it was better to part ways. It has just been toxic since they since that final buzzer sounded against the Hawks and they were eliminated from the playoffs. It has just been a toxic environment in Philadelphia. Ben Simmons, if you okay, so if you don't know, we'll run through we'll recap the whole thing right quick, right? So Ben Simmons, the Sixers lose to the Hawks. Ben Simmons gets a huge chunk of blame, not only for uh, his his decision making, but his uh, lack of shot attempts in the fourth quarter of these games. This is a guy who is bricking free throws as an at an astronomical rate. He's shooting like in the series, he shot below I believe fifty percent from the free throw line. And when you look at his fourth quarter statistics, he took two shots in three games during the fourth quarter or some absolutely ludicrous stat like that. He wasn't shooting the basketball. And when you're touted as like the 1A or 1B of a super a superstar tandem with him and Embiid, he's a guy that is expected to step up in those clutch moments in the fourth quarter. Instead, he's being a liability at the free throw line. Uh, he's not making the right decisions with the basketball. And then he's just straight up not even attempting to get to the hoop or drive and kick or shoot the ball at all in any capacity, just not doing it. Uh, so Embiid kind of blamed him. Um, there was a significant play that I'm sure most remember if you watched it where he had a wide open layup and instead of going up for the two points, he kicked it to Matisse Thibel, who ended up getting fouled and making just one of two free throws. Embiid pointed to that as kind of the momentum shift in the game. Uh, that was the game that Philly ended up getting eliminated in. So Embiid pointed to that, essentially said this, is, this was kind of Ben Simmons' fault. Um, and then Doc Rivers gets asked the question, do you think Ben Simmons can be the point guard on a championship team? And he said, 
Honestly, I don't know, which is a problem in and of itself. If you're a head coach of any professional sports organization, you cannot be throwing your star player, regardless of how shitty they played, you cannot be throwing one of your star players under the bus like that. Uh, even if it is true, which he, he was right. I mean, Ben Simmons sucked in that series and he had to shoulder a large amount of that blame. But as a head coach of a professional team, you, you can't be throwing your guys under the bus like that. Own up, be a head coach, take responsibility. Like I really do blame Doc Rivers a lot for that loss, that series loss to the Hawks. Uh, I think, honestly, it's about a 50-50 split between him and Ben Simmons in, in terms of, like, who deserves Blaine. Because Doc Rivers, it's not like he's never been in that position before. We have seen him blow many playoff leads with uh, the Clippers, especially. I don't believe he ever had that real problem in Boston. He might have, but we saw him notoriously go through that in Los Angeles as uh, the head coach of the Clippers. It plagued him throughout his tenure there of them blowing leads or just playing down to their opponent and underperforming. We've seen it happen with him. So I, this is not like a new scenario for Doc Rivers, which is why him saying that is like even more unbelievable that he would do that. So that all transpired. And Ben Simmons pretty much said, enough is enough. I'm never going to play for the Sixers again. And they said, yeah, all right, whatever. And instead of trying to trade him, even though they said they tried to trade him, uh, they were like, oh, we didn't like any of the deals that we got for him. So they didn't trade him. He holds out of training camp, pre doesn't play a single preseason game, gets fined almost uh, a million and a half for all the missed preseason games. And now he's back in practice and he is currently suspended for one game for conduct detrimental to the team. Um, as it goes, apparently he was in practice. Doc Rivers asked him to participate in a defensive drill. He said no. Doc Rivers asked him again. He said no. Doc Rivers suggested that he just go home. Ben Simmons dropped the ball and left. Uh, this was by this was reported by Shams Charania. So for the Athletic. Um, so he. Pretty much said, fuck this. He, he wants nothing to do with the Sixers organization. He's only showing up because he doesn't want to get fined $200,000 plus for every game or practice that he misses. That said, what I, what I just said is uh, correct. So he, according to Woj now, uh, the 76ers have fined Ben Simmons $1.4 million for his absence from four preseason games, which is $360,000 each, and levied numerous team fines for missed practices, on-court workouts, and meetings. He hasn't earned any money since returning to the team on October 11th. So it's been a little over a week since he returned to the team, hasn't made a single chunk of change, but has to pay $1.4 million, which I'm sure he's not happy about. This is just bad for all sides because Ben Simmons, him doing all of this is not a good look in terms of his trade value because the Sixers are going to get lowballed because they know other teams know they've, they've been knowing that Ben Simmons is not happy. He wants to do pretty much anything possible to get out of Philadelphia. And now that 
he's being unproductive and uncooperative and just a, a pain in the ass for the Sixers, teams know that they're, they might just get desperate enough where they're going to take any offer for him and they're going to make out like bandits. But it does diminish that because the Sixers clearly are not willing to budge in terms of what they want in return for Ben Simmons. So they're not getting the offers they want. Ben Simmons isn't helping his trade stock. And all in all, it's just a very, very, very toxic situation. I think both sides are to blame because the Sixers didn't trade him when they had the, the highest opportunity to. And now he's created a whole complete dysfunctionality in that locker room, on the practice court. Who knows what the hell's going to happen when it's time for him to actually check into a game. Now, the Sixers can very well just be like, listen, if you're going to act like a, a bitch in practice and, and walk out of practices, we're going to fine you and suspend you for conduct detrimental to the team. So even now, you are showing up, but you're being a pain in the ass. We get to fine you. You have to pay us money and you don't play and you get to sit in this and rot in this organization. So what, the de- what is the deal going to be? I think Ben Simmons has made his, his point. I think it would be better if he just showed up, kept his mouth shut, and played basketball. Because if that's the case, um, I think he will get traded sooner than later. But clearly, he doesn't care about the money. Like He's making a whole big stinking fuss about it because he's pissed off. And you know what? I, I do sympathize with him a little bit in terms of if my teammate, and like, it, he, he has to know that he didn't play well. There's just no shot that he thought he played well enough to win that series and now is, like, bewildered that everyone in the organization is turning on him. Uh, but this is what happens when an organization lets their star player or one of their star players just do whatever he wants for five straight years. Ben Simmons has done absolutely nothing to improve his game, i.e. shooting the three-pointer, shooting a mid-range, or shooting free throws. Three things that, coming into the league, were lacking, at bare minimum, lacking in Ben Simmons' game. He has done nothing to improve them. In fact, they've probably gotten worse. So it's, it's not like... He's doing anyone favors here because the Sixers have just let him operate this way for years without any repercussions. And now it's a problem because people are now calling him out, which is, I understand why people are calling him out. And I agreed with them because he needs to be held accountable. But at the same time, Exposing it into public like that is different than someone going up to him and being like, listen, you have to do this. Unless they did and he just didn't listen and now this is the only way to get it done. I don't know what the full story is, but what I do know is that both sides look pretty silly. I think both sides, it is completely toxic. It is a bad relationship that needs to be cut off. And I think both sides come out looking pretty stupid. All right. Now, some more important news outside of the, the NBA drama. Um, by the way, little brag, though. Going to the Knicks game opening night. First time I've ever been to 
uh, an opening night game, basketball game. Uh, I, I actually don't frequent basketball games too much. Uh, I think the last basketball game I went to was at the Barclays Center. And, like, Isaiah Thomas was still on the Celtics. Uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell was on the Nets, and they weren't even that good. It was back in, like, 2015. Uh, so they weren't even good yet. And still, actually, I don't, D'Angelo Russell, I don't think, was even on the Nets at that point. It was before that. Um, so it's just, they weren't very good. Um, neither teams were. That was the last basketball game I went to. So going to the Knicks opening night should be electric to play in the Celtics, ironically. Um, very, very excited. Garden should be popping. Anyway, the more important news, other than the Ben Simmons Sixers drama, middle school drama, is the Yankees. So, press release from the New York Yankees. They have re-signed manager Aaron Boone to a three-year contract through the 2024 season with a club option for 2025. Boone was named the 33rd manager in club history on December 4th, 2017. He has compiled a career 328 and 218 managerial record and has led the Yankees to a postseason berth in each of his first four seasons at the helm, 2018 to 2021. Over his first three full seasons as manager, he has averaged 98 wins per season. The La Mesa, California native is just the second manager in baseball history to reach the postseason in each of his first four managerial seasons, joining Mike Matheny, 2012-2015 with St. Louis. He is the third manager to make the playoffs in each of his first four seasons with the Yankees, joining Casey Stengel and Joe Torre. We have a person and a manager in Aaron Boone who possesses the baseball acumen and widespread respect in our clubhouse to continue to guide us forward, says Yankees managing general partner Hal Steinbrenner. As a team and as an organization, we must grow, evolve, and improve. We need to get better, period. I know Aaron fully embraces our expectations of success, and I look forward to drawing on his intelligence, instincts, and leadership in pursuit of our next World Series championship. End quote. What do I think about all of this? Um, I think the deal is interesting. It's three years with a club option for a fourth year. So you're committing to them. Um, I think it's significant to note that they fired Marcus Timms, the hitting coach, uh, as well as Phil Nevin, who was a bench coach, third base coach. Both of those guys got fired. Um, just inconsistent, inconsistent hitting up and down the lineup for the Yankees outside of Stanton and Judge. Uh, and so he had to go. I was actually saying fire him months ago, but I understand why they didn't. Uh, and I granted, I was being very emotional about it. Um, and Phil Nevin just an all time, like honestly, him sending Judge in the wild card game and, and getting thrown out at home plate, that might have like sealed his fate in terms of if he was going to return next year or not. And uh, apparently, Boone and Nevin are very good friends. So Boone didn't have to fire him, Cashman did that for him, like he does everything else. It's, and the quote is a bit, a, a bit BS, honestly. 
you know, drawing on his intelligence and leadership is like something I would believe if this guy was actually able to manage a baseball team. You know, they don't even let him. It's all Cashman. It's all nerds. It's all analytics. I, I don't know how often Aaron Boone is actually allowed to, to be a baseball manager, truthfully. Uh, and we see guys like Alex Cora. Alex Cora is an excellent in-game personnel kind of manager in terms of trusting his baseball instincts to make a decision. Uh, the Yankees don't allow Boone to even remotely try that. It's all predetermined lineups, uh, pitchers versus batters, defensive shifts, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's all analytics. Like They try to play like the Rays. They have been trying to be the Tampa Bay Rays for some reason because they have hundreds of millions of dollars in payroll, whereas the Rays have like hundreds of thousands. The Rays don't pay anyone. Obviously, that's a hyperbole, but they legitimately don't pay anyone. Like, if you're asking for a big contract, sorry, we're not going to do that. You can go walk somewhere else. You know, they don't pay anyone. And, and they frequently use starters, I mean, uh, relief pitchers as openers. They do four guys in the outfield for, against people like Joey Gallo and Bryce Harper. And they, I know that's interleague play, but he came to my mind as a big slug and lefty for whatever reason. Uh, they do drastic shifts unlike anyone else in the MLB. Like, they were really, like, the progenitor of all of this massive infield shifts, four people in the outfield, which they're, I think they're still the only team that do that. Um, they did it for Kyle Schwarber, I believe, in, uh, in the divisional series. Now, their season came to an end, but they were one of the best teams in baseball. They owned the AL, the AL East all year. So it's just really frustrating to look at the Yankees and have this big payroll. They trade for these guys, and then they're still not allowing their manager to manage the baseball team. It's, it really does piss me off because you look at Alex Cora, and he's had tremendous success. He, they won the World Series in 2018. They, he got fired and then rehired because of the cheating scandal. They traded away the best player at the time in the MLB in Mookie Betts, and they still now have a good enough core together and a, a good collection of young superstars with veterans and scrappy ball players to make their team leading the ALCS. They're up 2-1 against Houston, and they have been smacking the shit out of the ball. It, it, it's been, and like timely, good, reliable starting pitching, which is, was the real big stick here was, is the Red Sox pitching and more importantly, is their bullpen going to hold up against higher level talent? Uh, and we're going to get into all of that in, in a little bit. Um, but just my closing thoughts on Boone is, is, are they going to continue down this route of just making him be the puppet or are they going to actually allow him to manage this baseball team uh, because so far he has not been able to, he hasn't been able to manage. So if he's not allowed to do that, you think, okay, well, the least he can do is like inspire the players on this team. And he doesn't really do that either. When, like, when do you really see Boone rally his guys and, and be 
like this emotional leader because every time they lose, like a, they have a really bad loss or a really good win, it doesn't matter the difference. He comes out there, sits at that podium, and says the same bullshit every single day after every game. He comes out and says the same thing, which is just a whole lot of nothing. You know, when they lose a really tough game, there's, there's no critique or uh, there's no emotion. It's just, you know, we got to go out there and be better. I think, you know, we have a really good chance of, uh, uh, of making a run. I think this is the right squad to get it done. And it's like the same bullshit. It's the same speech every single time. And then when they win, it was like, yeah, really good win. Uh, real proud of how our guys play today. Uh, on to the next one. And that's it. Like, there's no, like, real response. It's the same, oh, we'll be okay, we'll be okay, we'll be okay. All the time. It's insane. So, like, I, I all right, fine. You want to do, they cleared out the firings. If they were going to fire him, it would have happened, like, sometime late last week when they fired Tims and uh, Nevin. That, that didn't happen, so you kind of knew that, that this was coming. So you got a three-year deal with a club option for a fourth year. What's going to happen, right? Like, what, what are you, what is going to be different? And Cashman, I think Cashman already came out and said, yeah, shortstop is a huge priority for us. So there, there's a good amount of shortstops on the market this offseason. Go out and get someone. Get Baez, Seager. I fucking hate Carlos Correa, but even if they should at least pick up the phone and call him. With, but I, I really, I don't see him leaving Houston. He, he might, but I really don't see him leaving Houston. So this is about a three-minute clip. Um, I'm not going to play all of it. You can look it up. It, Michael Kay is asking this question to Aaron Boone about uh, recent coaching staff moves, a.k.a. Tim's and Nevin. This is um, a, a multi-pronged question. Um, I know you were close with all three coaches, but you were very, very close with Phil Nevin. He was one of your guys. He always had your back. Uh, he has been quoted as saying that he was not fired for anything on the field. So number one is, why was he let go or not brought back? And number two, getting a three-year contract, obviously the Yankees wanted you back. You had leverage. Was there ever a point where you said, Listen, either Phil Nevin stays or I'm not coming back. Did you have that thought process and did you have that discussion? Um, I did not have a this or that, you know, Phil stays or I go, you know, or I wouldn't be here right now. Um, but honestly, you know, when, when the coaches were, that was one of the things I had to struggle through with for a couple of days. And again, had some difficult conversations with them. Um, Again, people that I respect from a baseball standpoint and their ability to coach and what they're capable of doing, but also the love that I have for them as people, you know, and, and you say Phil, but I would include Marcus and PJ in that as well. So um, that was a tough couple of days for me, honestly, that I, I did have to, you know, I guess do some soul searching and, and really speak to them. And I've even talked to Phil about, you know, about, you know, coming back and things like that. So those are tough conversations you work through and, and. 
it's a little bit more of the same. Um, you mentioned, or he mentioned, uh, PJ. That's uh, PJ Pilater or Pilateri. He's the assistant hitting coach with Marcus Timms. And by the way, they weren't fired. Um, their contracts weren't renewed. So the entire coaching staff, including Boone, all of their contracts were up at the same time, and none of them were re- renewed other than Boone. So you're pretty much bringing in uh, an entirely new, you're, bringing, you're going to have to bring in a new third base coach or a hire from within. Same thing with a hitting coach, assistant hitting coach, whatever. Uh, so it's a whole big shakeup, almost entirely from top to bottom in terms of uh, the coaching staff. Underneath Boone, I should say. I, I don't know what's going to be different. Um, I, I guess it depends who they hire to surround Boone with and, and what kind of moves they make in the offseason. But there's like a weird feeling in my stomach that it's going to be more of the same, which is 90 to 95 wins. And that's really good. Which is the annoying part, is that that's, that's really good, but like this year the Yankees won whatever it was, 90-something games, and at no point did I really feel like this was the team that was going to get it done and get to the World Series, let alone win the World Series. Like, it just didn't feel like that. Because um, I look at the Red Sox, and they had the same exact record with a team and a roster that on paper... I think most people would say is worse. And all of this after pretty much they won the World Series and then in 2019 and 2020, they traded people away, they broke it down, and now here they are three years later in the ALCS. Uh, So let's talk about it. So the ALCS, this Red Sox team, it helps when you have the hottest hitter on the planet leading off your lineup. Uh, Kike Hernandez has been unpitchable for the entirety of the playoffs, even going to uh, the wild card game. And he's the one who won the wild card game for the Red Sox. He hit a sack fly uh, to drive in the game-winning run. And they have been scorched earth on pretty much everything. They have three grand slams against the Astros in the ALCS, two of them coming in one game. So. This team, their bats, just top to bottom, are unbelievable. Uh, everyone is hitting well. The pitching has been exceptional. And they find themselves up two games to one over Houston. Uh, and they, So they split in Houston, and then they won last night in Boston. And now they have game four now in Boston with a chance to take a three-to-one lead. Pavetta's going for the Red Sox. Granke's going for the Astros. Uh, Like, J.D. Martinez was one of, like, their best hitters for a long time. He's hitting sixth now, which is a couple years ago. That would have been crazy to think that. But Schwarber has been a shockingly good pickup at first base. Uh, Even though he's not the best first baseman, he's been suitable there. Uh, Schwarber... Kike Hernandez, Devers, Bogarts, Verdugo, JD, Renfro, which was a huge pickup for them, uh, Vasquez, and Arroyo is the lineup for Boston. And, like, that's a lineup, if you put it against the Yankees, you're like, yeah, the Yankees is a way better, they have a way better lineup. And 
just not the case. Like they have a, like I said before, they have a perfect mix of scrappy players and young superstars. Uh, Schwarber is an an above average player. He's pretty young, but he has postseason experience. Kike Hernandez has postseason experience. Now he gets to play every day, and he has shown that he is capable of being really good. Uh, Rafael Devers, young superstar. Bogarts, young superstar. Alex Verdugo, scrappy player. J.D. Martinez, World Series champion, veteran. Was a superstar at one point, but he's still a very good baseball player. Hunter Renfro, veteran. Vasquez, scrappy. Arroyo, scrappy. Like, it's a, it's a perfect mix. And they are clicking on every aspect of the baseball field. So, I mean, it feels like it's almost inevitable that they win this World Series. But can't count the Astros out because on their side, they have another mix, uh, a great mix of players that have gone deep into the postseason, champions. Um, and, and younger talent that have really emerged uh, this year. Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez, Correa, Tucker, Gurriel, McCormick. Like, Gurriel was the AL batting champ, and he's batting seventh for them. So Altuve, obviously, we know. Brantley, we know. Bregman, we know. Alvarez was a rookie of the year and has now been one of the best power hitters in all of baseball. Correa is a leader on that team. Kyle Tucker has emerged. As a very good right fielder, Gurriel's there. I mentioned him just now. McCormick and Maldonado, the machete, who is an unbelievable catcher. Uh, so you're not doing much much on the base paths against him. And, you know, he'll deliver a big hit every once in a while as well. He's batting ninth there, but he's not like a give me out, you know? So I, I I'm not going to count them out. It just feels inevitable that the Red Sox are going to get to the World Series. And depending on who they face is going to be pretty interesting because the Braves in the NLCS are up 2-0 with back-to-back walk-off wins against the Dodgers. So I'm recording Tuesday. Game 4 with the Astros and Red Sox is at 8. Game 3 with Atlanta and Los Angeles is actually starting in a couple minutes. Um... But the Braves are now, they're traveled to Los Angeles. Yesterday they were off. And they're in there now with a two-game lead off of huge, like, don't roll over and die wins. So game one, uh, Austin Riley has himself a day, rips a double into left center field over the head of Mookie Betts. Albies comes all the way around from first to score, and the Braves win. And then in game two, Eddie Rosario lines one up the middle, and the shift by Los Angeles was actually perfect. Uh, this ball is hit directly at Trey Turner. Like, he didn't have to move, and that was kind of the problem because Rosario laced this ball, and it was a, a short, tough hop to Trey Turner. Now, you only have a split second, not even to make a decision in terms of how you're playing a ball that's getting hit that hard directly at you. Uh, sometimes, you know, when a ball is hit that hard, it's easier to be off to the side of it rather than directly in front of it because that's how a ball eats you up. And that's exactly what happened with Trey Turner because instead of taking the route where it's like that ball is being hit hard, you don't have to move. 
spread your feet, get down low and try and smother it and keep it in front of you and then get the out at first to end the inning. What ends up happening is Turner makes a split second wrong choice and gets caught leaning backwards, tries to pick it. It eats him up, goes into short, shallow center field. The run scores. The game is over. Uh, Rosario is the big hero in game two. So this series is shaping up to be very, very, very intense. And when I look at these two teams, I think, I truly believe, either one of these teams is going to be the World Series champion. I, I know I say it feels like Boston is inevitable. It really does. But when I look at the Braves and the Dodgers, I think their lineups are better. I think their pitching is way better. Uh, so I think either one of these teams would be able to take down either one of the teams in the AL. Uh, I think the Braves and the Dodgers are better than both the Astros and the Red Sox. So tonight in Game 3 in Los Angeles, Walker Bueller's on the mound for LA. Charlie Morton is on the mound for Atlanta. Uh, and Atlanta has all the momentum. I mean, Los Angeles has done a lot of things right. They, they have played very well. They have put themselves in positions to win each of the first two games, and Atlanta just did not allow that to happen. And kudos to them not splitting, not losing both games at home. They're able to win. That is what they needed because now you're back in Los Angeles. It's going to be a little bit more difficult to muster up that kind of rally and comeback mentality when you're at an opposing ballpark. So they did what they had to do and win the first two games by a hair. Uh, I have a feeling this series is going to go seven games. I, I, if I was a gambling man, I would probably put money on the fact that it goes seven games. Um, I don't know how I feel about Houston and Boston. Kind of feels like Boston in six. This game, I know uh, this series. I know Atlanta's up two nothing, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes seven. So. If I had to guess the postseason, because I think by the time, unless this, if this series, if either series goes seven games, we should be talking about this next time, uh, next week. We might have a result. I, I'm not exactly sure how the schedule plays out. Um, but by this time next week, either the series, both series will be over or we'll be going to like a game seven, I think. So it's, it's tough. Uh, I think. We might have results, but if I had to pick who's going to the World Series, I'm going to stick with L.A. I think L.A. and Boston have a rematch in the World Series, and I think L.A. gets their revenge this time around and beats Boston to repeat. Um, I'm going to stick with that. I think it's still a solid pick. Uh, I, I Obviously, I don't see LA rolling over and dying to Atlanta this easily, uh, even though they are down 2-0. I mean, it's, it's really not a thing to them to win two, three, four games in a row. So, And I believe last time they played was a couple years ago um, when they won, or was it last year? Or when they lost to Boston? I think it's when they lost to Boston. So maybe it's 2018? The Dodgers beat Atlanta and then lost to Boston because they played in the NLCS once before. I would assume it was then because I, I don't think 
I think it was then because they didn't go to the, the World Series in 2019, and I don't think they even went to the NLCS. So, regardless, uh, they have played in the NLCS before, and it was a tight game that I believe went seven games. Or six, six competitive games uh, where Atlanta just couldn't get it done. And they're doing all of this, by the way, without Ronald Acuna Jr., who, I mean, if the, if the Braves win the World Series without Acuna, I have a feeling that's going to break his heart. Will he be happy? Yeah. Will he get a ring? Absolutely. Is he still probably the face of the franchise? Yes. But, it, I mean, as a competitor, it's got to break his heart to win his first World Series and he wasn't even a part of the playoff run, you know? But we'll, we'll cross that bridge if we come to it. I think the Dodgers get it done tonight. It's going to be a close one like the first two have. It's either going to be a one-run game like the first two have or the Dodgers are going to blow, blow it open against the Braves and walk out with an easy Game 3 win. Uh, there's not going to be any in between. So we'll see what happens there. As for Houston and Boston, uh, I think I'm going to say Boston goes up 3-1. And then they lose Wednesday in Boston to make it a 3-2 series. And then when they go back to Houston for Game 6 on Friday, I think Boston takes it there and they advance to the World Series. Just a guess. Who knows? Um, but I'll be back here next week to talk about it, regardless of what happens. And what I was saying about, oh, well, I don't know if there'll be a Game 7. If there's a Game 7 in the Boston-Houston series, it'll be on Saturday. And if there's a Game 7 in Dodgers-Braves, it'll be on Sunday, the 24th. So we'll most certainly have an answer by the time I record next week. I don't know what I was thinking, but we will definitely have an answer. Okay, so week six of the NFL, uh, bye week for the Jets, the happiest time of the year for Jets fans. Uh, I wish it was the bye week for the Giants because, uh, I mean, they just lost 38-11 to to the LA Rams, uh, Daniel Jones with a dud of a game. I mean, this guy shouldn't, he shouldn't even been playing, truthfully, uh, he got concussed against the Cowboys, and then somehow cleared concussion protocol, and they started him for the entirety of the game, even though it was a blowout at one point. Um, and <laughs> 29-51, 242 yards, three interceptions for Daniel Jones. Sterling Shepard had a pretty good game back, 10 catches, 76 yards for Sterling Shepard in his return. Uh, yeah, man, I mean, it was... It was all Rams the entire time. The Giants looked good in the beginning. Their defense was getting some stops, but the offense could just do a whole lot of nothing against LA. It's exactly the kind of game you expected it to be. Uh, Rams dominated front to back. Jason Garrett is still somehow employed by the New York Giants. So all in all, just not a good week. But you expected this. Chalk it up. One and five. Move it on to next week where the Giants play. The Panthers, which is a winnable game. The Panthers have lost three straight. They're three and three. You're home, and Carolina's getting three points. That's not a good sign. The Giants are home, and Carolina is favorite, minus three. And then the week after that, you're playing Monday night against Kansas City, which just seems 
mean. Uh, yeah, man. I, yeah, the Panthers, winnable. Chiefs, not really. Raiders, I honestly don't know. The Buccaneers, another Monday night game. Not fair. Then you have the Eagles, you could beat. Dolphins, you could beat. Chargers, probably not. Cowboys, probably not. Eagles, you can beat. Bears, you can beat. Washington, you can beat. Season's over. So, maybe you scratch out. Three wins in the next hand in the next the rest of the, the rest of the season. You might scratch out three wins. Uh, you could beat the Panthers right now. You probably lose to the Chiefs. Probably lose to the Raiders. Probably lose to the Bucks. Could beat the Eagles. Could beat the Dolphins. Could beat the Eagles a second time. Could beat the Bears and could beat the Washington Football Team. So you might end the season with seven wins if you're lucky. But we know how the Giants have been the past you know six years. Uh, five six years, so I I wouldn't I wouldn't really bank on it on them winning those games that I just said. Maybe they'll win a few of them, but I wouldn't expect them to win all seven of them. Uh, it's it's not an easy road, man. It it really isn't. So Panthers next week. See if you can get to two and five going to Monday night, going to Kansas City. Christ Almighty! I hope Barkley's at least back by then. Jaguars and Dolphins, the London game, just a whole lot of mistakes made on Miami's part. Um, Poor decision-making from Tua, poor play-calling from Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins coaching staff. Um, A very winnable game for them that they probably should have dominated and they just didn't. Jacksonville gets their first win of the season. Matthew Wright, who came, the Jaguars came into week six without having made A field goal. Matthew Wright hit three field goals, including the game-winning kick from 53 yards out. Uh, He hit a 40-yard field goal. He hit a 54-yarder and a 53-yarder to win it. So Matthew Wright, probably the player of the game for Jacksonville. Both teams, one in five. Miami continues to slide further and further down uh, when they had higher hopes than they've ever had in the recent memory coming into this year. And they just have slipped back into being the terrible Dolphins that we've known for the past few years or the past decade, really. Uh, Bears, Packers, the Packers win 24-14. to I give the Bears credit. They fought, but, I mean, this was a game that was destined to end this way. Aaron Rodgers scoring a touchdown uh, and being shoved out of bounds as he's scoring and getting up and saying, I fucking own you. I've always owned you to the Bears crowd. Uh, He said in in the press conference afterwards that he got up after being shoved and uh, I think Eddie Jackson shoved him. Uh, He got up and the first person he saw in the crowd was like a woman giving him the double bird and... uh, that's the first thing that came into his mouth. And he's right. I mean, he has one loss, I think, in his career at Soldier Field. He has absolutely up and down dominated the Chicago Bears franchise. Bengals, Lions. Uh, I said this on Sunday. Burrow and Jamar Chase are kind of like a Happy Meal version of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Like, they just have an unbelievable connection and chemistry on the field where 
there that that's like his guy. You know that's his guy, and there's really you really can't stop him. Jamar Chase, four catches, 97 yards, well on his way to becoming the offensive rookie of the year. Um, might break Justin Jefferson's records at this point. He has already 553 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, he's averaging 20 and a half yards per catch. 27 catches for 553 yards. Very impressive stuff uh, from Jamar Chase. I mean, he's top five in all of receiving in yards and touchdowns and second in average yard per catch. So uh, he, he is having a tremendous season, not only for a rookie, but for most wide receivers right now. He's very, very, very good. Bengals roll 34 to 11. Lions remain winless at 0-6. Bengals are 4-2. and I'm, I'm becoming a Bengals fan this year. Uh, Colts roll over the Texans 31-3. Jonathan Taylor continues to have an incredible season. 14 carries, 145 yards, and two touchdowns for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, he has been very, very good ever since like week 14 of last year where he fi- they finally started feeding him the ball uh, in the passing game and in the running game and kind of left Naheem Hines off to the side because they realized, hey, maybe this kid actually could be a three-down back, and he most certainly is. Uh, he's, a, he's a weapon in the receiving game, and obviously he's a very good runner of the football. So they're letting him cook, and they're letting him eat, and uh, their offense has taken a bit of a bounce back now. Obviously a tough loss against Baltimore, but they're now 2-4. and four. I wouldn't count Indianapolis out just yet. They do have a talented team, uh, but they did have a few bad beats in the beginning of the season, so it'll be interesting to see if they can overcome that hurdle. Uh, Chiefs roll over Washington 31-13. to A lot of blowouts this week. Not a whole lot of competitive football uh, outside a few games, but Mahomes, another two interceptions for Patrick Mahomes, which is... Obviously not very good. He's already thrown more interceptions than he did all of last year. Eight interceptions. 18 touchdowns, but eight interceptions. Which is second only to Zach Wilson, who has nine. And he's tied with Trevor Lawrence, who has eight. So, I mean, this is... Listen to all the other guys that are surrounding Patrick Mahomes in terms of interceptions. Zach Wilson's in front of him with nine. He has eight. Trevor Lawrence has eight. Two rookie quarterbacks. He's sandwiched in between. Burrow has seven. Davis Mills. Burrow has seven, who is a a second-year quarterback after missing uh, a a chunk of his first season because he blew out his knee. Davis Mills is a rookie. He has seven. Heineke is not a regular starter. He has six. Darnold is turnover-prone. He has six. Mac Jones has six. He's a rookie. And then Lamar is there with five. But this is like that. That is not where you expect Patrick Mahomes to be at all. He's first or he's second in interceptions and first in touchdowns. (laughs) He has 18 touchdown throws. So it's just very weird that he has this many interceptions, maybe getting a little too careless with the ball, maybe trying to do things that happened naturally before, like the no-look pass or uh, the throwing downfield like off his back foot and just happened to land in like Tyreek Hill's hands instead now those balls are getting picked off the things that kind of happened naturally before are now it seems like he's actively trying to do those things 
and uh, the def- the defenses just aren't allowing those kind of things to happen so far this season. So that's why he has eight picks. He'll adjust. He's obviously still a incredible an incredible quarterback, the best quarterback in all of football. And if you're if these first few games and the Chiefs being three three and him having eight interceptions, if that is now changing your mind for some reason after all we've seen. Then I don't know. I, I don't know if I can have an intelligent football conversation with you because I think it's pretty obvious he's still the best quarterback in football. But he is struggling, and quarterbacks struggle. So, Chiefs roll. They're three and three. Uh, they'll be above five hundred soon enough, and they'll probably end up winning the division. Vikings beat the Panthers in OT. Kirk Cousins another. Game-winning drive in overtime. This Vikings team is, I mean, I can't imagine being a Vikings fan. Every week has just been so stressful for this team. They have clawed their way back to 3-3. Three and three. Panthers lose three straight. They're 3-3. Three and three. Again, they play the Giants next week. Minnesota plays the Cowboys on Sunday night football next week. Oh, actually, no. The, Cow- uh, the Vikings have a bye, and they come back and play the Cowboys, who also have a bye. Uh, they come back and play the Cowboys on Halloween, Sunday night. Ravens, Chargers, a very, very impressive win from Baltimore. With all the guys they have injured and banged up, they just lost Ronnie Stanley too. Uh, their left tackle, he's now on IR. He might be done for the season. They lead the league in people on IR. And they're 5-1, and one, and they up and down dominated. Uh, Los Angeles, the Chargers. They're five and one. Chargers are four and two. Uh, I mean, six points for Justin Herbert and that Chargers offense. An offense that looked so potent with Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Herbie. Those four guys, I mean, they're hard to stop. And the Ravens put on a clinic. Shout out to Marlon Humphrey, too. He, what a game he had. Uh, they were just up and down, complete domination. From the Ravens. They win 34 to 6. Cardinals remain undefeated. They're 6 0. They dominate the Browns, who got kind of banged up in this game. Nick Chubb was ruled out before the game uh before Sunday. He was ruled out. So Kareem Hunt was gonna get more of a workload, but even he was a little bit banged up and he ended up leaving this game, I believe at the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, maybe, with a calf injury. They placed him on IR now. So Chubb is not on IR, but he is ruled out because now the Browns, unfortunately, with how banged up they are, play Thursday night. So Baker got hurt. He had to come out of the game, and then he came back in. Uh, his, cat, his arm was in a sling afterwards. Uh, Odell got a little bit shaken up with a shoulder injury, but he ended up coming back into the game. Chubb was ruled out, and he's not, he didn't play Sunday. He's not going to play Thursday. Kareem Hunt did play Sunday. And now he's on the IR. He's out several weeks. He won't be playing Thursday. So this team now went from being uh, very competitive now to 3-3 three and three and very injured in their best spots. Like, this was a team that had the best backfield in all of football with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And now both of those guys are injured and are going to be missing multiple games at this point. So I guess you got to go into Thursday now. Still a winnable game. Uh, you're, you're playing the Broncos, who just got walloped by Las Vegas. So you're playing the Broncos at home. 
you should be able to, to win that game, even with your banged-up team. Your defense is still very good. I mean, the Broncos have a good defense as well, but you saw what the Raiders did to them, so who knows. Uh, both teams kind of a must-win in terms of if they want to continue to compete this season. So I'm going to take Cleveland. I know they're banged up, but I still like them over uh, Denver. They're the Thursday night game. It's, it's a bad week to be playing on Thursday night if you're Cleveland after what just happened to you coming into Sunday and then on Sunday with all the injuries and banged up players you have. Uh, Broncos Raiders game was a blowout. The end score was 34 to 24, but the Broncos scored a garbage time touchdown. Raiders dominated the entire way. Uh, Derek Carr, 341 yards and two touchdowns. Henry Ruggs had three catches for 97 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Denver is not that good. They're three and three. Vegas is four and two. So a much needed win for Las Vegas. Cowboys Patriots, probably the best game of in all of, of Sunday. Um, that's including the Sunday night game, but this game and the Sunday night game both went into OT. Cowboys Patriots, Trevon Diggs, another pick, uh, another interception. He returns it to the house after the Cowboys get stopped. The Patriots have the ball. Cowboys need a stop, uh, and they get a pick six from Trevon Diggs who at that point had more touchdowns than his brother, Stefan Diggs. So he walks in for his second pick six of the year. He leads the league, I think, now with eight interceptions through the first six games of the season, which is, like, unbelievable. This guy really is, he's special, man. He is, he is really, really, really special. Seven interceptions. I think I said eight. He has seven interceptions through the first six weeks of the season. He is very good. So. I say he's very good and he has a lot of interceptions, but he does get beat occasionally. You know, he, he is a risk taker. He's someone who reminds me a lot of uh, Marcus Peters. So Marcus Peters, not necessarily a total lockdown corner, but a huge playmaker, someone who forced turnovers and gave the ball back to his offense. Trevon Diggs, he's a, an, average man, uh, an average cornerback in man-to-man and like zone coverage. But he is able to jump routes very effectively. He has good hands for a defensive back. Uh, and if you throw a 50-50 ball his way, he's a big dude. He's 6'2". Like, he's a big cornerback because he played wide receiver in Bama and then Saban switched in to cornerback. But he's a big guy and he has receiver hands. So he can go up and, and get those 50-50 balls. Like you're not going to, you can't just throw up 50-50 balls around him because it won't end in your favor. Um, and especially also tight window throws when he's in the area, tight window throws are a big no-no to uh, Trayvon Diggs because he will jump the route and he will pick it off. So I think that's something teams are going to adjust to, but also he's done an incredible job of forcing turnovers. And, you know, he got, what was ironic about saying all this is that he gets that pick six and immediately the next play that the Patriots have from scrimmage, Mac Jones throws a deep ball where Stephon Diggs got beat, and then the safety, I don't know who the safety was for Dallas, uh, maybe it was Curse, but he comes in trying to jump the ball, jump the route, and pick it off, and go the, un- the other way in stride, and he completely whiffs on the ball, on the player, on everything, completely whiffs, leaves Trayvon Diggs out to dry, who, who's he standing there after it happens, like, what are you doing? 
And it's a walk-in touchdown for the Patriots, who end up tying the game. The game goes into overtime. Patriots can't get it done. When they, they got the ball first, they can't get it done. They punt it away. Dak drives down the field, and he ends up throwing to a wide-open CeeDee Lamb for a walk-off touchdown, if you want to call it that. Uh, Cowboys win. They're going into their bye week at 5-1. and one. They've won five straight. New England is 2-4, and four, but they're a very impressive 2-4 and because you look at their games, uh, week one, they lose by one to the Dolphins, which is, you know, you're, you're going to look at that as a Patriots fan and be like, ah, if we just won that first week against a terrible Miami team, we might have been a little bit better. Uh, they slaughtered the Jets. They lose a tough game to the Saints uh, where they got kind of dominated. That was actually probably their worst game all year is, was against New Orleans. They're a missed field goal away against the Buccaneers. They lost by two. That was a really well-played game by them. Tough game. They beat the Texans, and then they lose in overtime to the Cowboys. So they've had a pretty tough schedule in terms of their opponents and have played pretty well with a rookie quarterback. So, uh, you know, credit to Bill Belichick and his schemes defensively, offensively. He has game-planned really well for some pretty tough opponents considering with what you're dealing with on offense. And I know Mac Jones is a rookie, but even outside of him, you don't have great explosive playmakers around him. Like Jacoby Myers is pretty good, but he hasn't caught a touchdown pass yet, which is mind-numbing. You're, you're platooning your backfield with running backs. Uh, you have real no real number two receiver. Your defense is good. Your defense definitely keeps you in some games. And Mac Jones is at the top of the, the entire league in completion percentage. So that's another good thing as well. Uh, he's making throws. He does have, I think, six interceptions. Um, so he's good for about one a game. Seahawks-Steelers was the Sunday night game. Uh, Seahawks forced overtime against the Steelers, even with Geno Smith. Uh, controversy with a DK Metcalf catch. If he was out of bounds or not, Mike Tomlin was pissed about it afterwards. And then even the next day, DK Metcalf and Shannon Sharp got into it on Twitter, which was kind of crazy. But uh, the Steelers get a much-needed win. They're 3-3. Three and three. Seahawks are 2-4. and four. Not sure how far, how far the, the Seahawks will fall without Russell Wilson. Uh, they need to scrape out a couple of wins at least until he gets back. Who knows how long that's going to be, though. So it, it could be the end of the month. It could be longer than that. Not exactly sure, but my best guess is maybe second week in November. So it, it's going to be at least a few games that they're going to need to get at least one or two wins here. Uh, shout out Alex Collins, though. 20 carries, 101 yards, and a touchdown for Alex Collins with Carson on the IR. Or I don't know if he's on the IR, but he was out. And he's going to miss a few games I think the Monday night game what a win for Tennessee uh they they confuse me you know they're a team that should easily be five and one uh they got dominated week one by Arizona so you can't take that back but the loss to the Jets is like an inexplicable loss when you're a team that goes out and beats Buffalo who just the week before dominated Kansas City like they don't make any sense to me they really really don't uh, Derrick Henry is an absolute unit, 20 carries, 143 yards and three touchdowns. His third three touchdown game 
of the season. He is the he is one of three other running backs to have over 750 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns in the first six games of the season. The other two are Eric Dickerson and Jim Brown. He is first in attempts with 162. He is first in yards with 738, and he's first in touchdowns with 10. He's actually only 13th in average yards per rush, which is 4.8, but that's still very good. So, Derrick Henry's a monster. Uh, He is actually, I would say he's on his way to winning MVP at this point. His projections for this year are a bit obnoxious. Um, on the with the extra game, the 17 game pace he's on is 465 carries, 2,219 yards, 28 touchdowns, plus 45 catches and 419 yards. The Titans are getting him a little involved in the passing game, running a couple screens per game. Maybe even Tannehill will dump it off to him a couple times. Like he's getting two to four catches every game now. Which, if you have him in fantasy like I do, is awesome. Uh, but he's been a, he's he's a monster, man. He's unstoppable. Uh, the Bills have had a great rush defense so far this year, and they got buried by Derrick Henry. Like he's just a different he's a different beast, man. He's a freaking monster. Uh, both teams now are four and two. Buffalo is still a very good football team, but Tennessee, especially their defense, showed up to play. It ends on a questionable decision by Sean McDermott. Um, The Bills are inside the five. Josh Allen runs the ball, or they're inside the 10. Josh Allen scrambles and runs the ball. He has to get to the three for a first down. They mark him inches short of it after he gets almost helicoptered. Very dang- He dives for it and gets upended. Very dangerous play, but he ended up being fine. Um, so they end up being like a half yard short of the first down. And on fourth and inches, instead of kicking the field goal, to tie it up and probably go into overtime because there's only 48 seconds left on the clock. They decide to go for it. Josh Allen takes the snap, and as he's lunging forward for the QB sneak, he kind of loses his footing and immediately goes... There was good push by the Titans, but he loses his footing and goes down short of the first down. Titans get the ball back. Game over. Titans win 34-31. So... Shout out to the Titans defense. They made some mistakes, but they came up big when it mattered. And again, a questionable decision to go for it on fourth and inches there where you could just tie the game with less than a minute left. But I kind of respect it because you're going for the win. The odds of, you know, six foot five Josh Allen not being able to get a half yard are very slim. But it's one of those mix miscues where he takes the snap and he lost his footing and like there's it's not that it was poorly executed or anything like that but sometimes shit like that happens that's football baby all right that wraps it up for week six and that wraps it up for this episode from my point of view i'm gonna go watch some playoff baseball uh everyone enjoy your weekend enjoy week seven thursday night broncos browns I don't know how the hell that game's going to go. Uh, but we are getting into the muck of the season. So, oh, basketball too now. Basketball is also on today, by the way, which I thought it was on Wednesday, but they have the two opening 
night games tonight. It is the Nets at the Bucks at 7.30 and the Warriors at the Lakers at 10 o'clock. Excited for that. Playoff baseball. Um, and then Thursday. So Thursday you'll have football, playoff baseball, one playoff baseball game, uh, basketball, and hockey. Hockey started too. Um, so very exciting stuff. Again, October, one of my favorite times of the year, baby. Uh, great sports month. So that'll do it for this episode from my point of view. Thank you all for listening, and I'll talk to you all next Wednesday. Same time, both better they can't keep me a bobble, can't keep it contained. No, I keep me some dolls, always keep me in training.